If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. I don't think anyone doubts that social robots will be part of our lives at some point. I think the question is just when and how exactly this will look like. How might a robot put you at ease, especially in stressful situations like job interviews, health screenings, or simply travel, where you're afraid you might miss your train? Sweden-based Fur Hat Robotics has come up with answers to those questions by creating the world's most advanced social robot. Fur Hat robots have customizable human appearances with lifelike facial expressions and movements, and they can portray any character, changing gender, age, and likeness. They can also speak in a wide selection of synthesized voices in 35 different languages, according to Fur Hat's website. Or they can even be customized to use real voices. Dr. Fabian Kapp is a solutions engineer with Fur Hat Robotics. Fabian, before we get to talking about this incredibly cool robot, the most advanced social robot in the world, I would love to know about your professional pathway. I have here that you speak seven languages and have a background in linguistics. How did you first get interested in creating artificial intelligence in that area, and how did that lead you to where you are today with Fur Hat Robotics? Wow, so that's a really interesting question. Yeah, so the many languages have been on my path for a very long time. I was basically born into it, living with a French father and a German mother. And even more so, I grew up on a French military base in Germany in the 80s and 90s. So I really was in this very multilingual environment where I had French neighbors and my French father and French TV at home was everything that we had. But then I went to a German school and had all the German environment in this German town. So I really grew up not only bilingually, but also biculturally. And so for me, it was always easy to learn more languages based on the two languages that I already knew. And so it was natural that I would follow down the language path. But when it was then time after high school to pick my studies, I thought if I now go on and study just languages, then where's all the fun in that? Where is the challenge? I did not feel challenged enough. So I was like, no, I have to learn something that I can't. And there was one thing that I couldn't at all. I bought my first computer on the day when I enrolled for a university. I did not even have a computer before. So I really learned everything from scratch and signed up for a program called Computational Linguistics at the time. It's nowadays more called Natural Language Processing. But I learned everything about programming and I was so eager and I discovered all these, you know, parallels between natural languages and programming languages because they both have to follow certain structures in order to be well-formed and understandable and in order, like, for the human languages in order to be understandable to humans, but for the programming languages in order to run smoothly on a computer, right? And then my additional challenge was that in computational linguistics, you try to teach machines language. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> it's already very difficult to teach humans language, but to teach them to computers, I really, I'm still as in love with this profession as I was on my first day. It's so cool. So after university, I went on doing a PhD, and even that in computational linguistics, I did my PhD in machine translation. So I wanted to investigate more how you can make machine translation more human in that you translate expressions that are 
very difficult for machines to understand, actually. And these are mainly non-literal expressions, like, for example, to sweep something under the rug. Um, the machine translation would just translate it as, okay, there's a rug and there's something swept, but that's not what it means. There's so much more to it that the machine with pure statistics cannot learn. So you have to add a bit more linguistic and language magic to it in order to make this work. And this was part of my PhD that I've been doing for a few years. Yeah, then I went on to do my postdoc. And I moved to Sweden to do my postdoc, where I further investigated machine translation. And then when I left academia a few years ago, I thought it was time to move on to chatbot technology, to go a bit to the next level. I thought I had learned everything there was to learn in the field of machine translation, and it was only about tuning more numbers. And I thought that is too far away from the human, and, and I would like to go back and do something more applicable, something more, more human. So I went to work in chatbot technology for a few years. And then earlier this year, I came across Ferhat Robotics. And that really sparkled my interest and my old, oh, there is something I can't and I need to learn that uh, came up again. Um, because with having a physical robot, one might first think, yeah, it's all about the conversation. You could just use a chatbot as I did before. But having a physical robot adds like a whole new world, a whole new dimension to the whole story. Because then suddenly you do not only have the communicative area, not only the written language or the spoken language, but suddenly you also start playing with emotions, with feelings, with facial expressions that have to match what the robot is currently saying. And I found that incredibly challenging and fascinating that a face adds to natural conversation, that I was immediately intrigued by it. So yeah, that is the short long story of how I came <laughs> to become a roboticist at Furhead Robotics here in Stockholm. What a cool robot too. This is not what we think of when we think of a robot. No. You know, this is like a mannequin head but it does all kinds of cool stuff. And I wish you would tell me what a social robot is. Because a lot of people, including me, were not that familiar with it. Yeah, a social robot is a robot that tries to imitate a human, I would say, or tries to imitate some capabilities of a human. For me, a social robot is something that creates empathy. That, and that can go both ways, right? That you can like feel for the robot or that also the robot mimics your feelings, maybe, and you get this feeling that the robot really actually understands you on a different level. And that the robot can be something like your companion also. A companion is not just someone you talk to, it's also someone that you feel understands you and you trust also. It has a lot to do with trust also. So, yeah, for me, I think this is roughly what social robots are here to do. There are a lot of cool applications for the fur hat robot. I was looking at this and thinking, how much fun. But I think what interested me most were the pilot programs you have right now in education specifically. What are you doing in education in Stockholm with the Hat? Yeah, so in Stockholm, we have some pilot projects with education, as you say. And that is that we try to bring a robot into schools and that children learn programming. Um, or, I mean, they learn the programming in school anyway, but have the robot, like, I don't want to say as a reward, but as a motivation to learn programming and then see how the program that you wrote actually performs on a robot. I remember myself when I was studying programming, it can be quite a dry thing to study, right? I mean, you're always in front of this black screen and there's like the, the numbers and, <laughs> and the programs. 
and the code lines, it can be quite boring. And of course, you can then print stuff on the screen and then little things happen to you. But I imagine sometimes if we had had a robot in my classroom where I learned programming, oh my God, I think so many more people would have gone down the programming path. So many more people would have chosen programming instead of choosing something else. So I think it can really be something intriguing and something motivating you to learn programming and then see the direct effect of what your program is doing. Let's do an imaginary lesson. I have got a fur hat robot in the classroom. Let's say I'm a teacher. And I want the kids to learn how to program this robot. What can they do? What can we do as a lesson? And what might the children be doing that would get them really thinking, yeah, programming is cool? (laughs) Yeah. So to begin with, in order to have a fast success experience, we have a drag and drop kind of programming and robot so that even pupils at a very young age can start to drag and drop their interaction with the robot together. And that can be building blocks like say this, move your head to the left, smile, move your head to the right. Like it can be all different kinds of commands that are very visual and very easy to put together even for younger children. But then of course, if you go into the older, in the more advanced classes, you can directly write the code for the robot. And basically you have then access to everything that the robot can do. And this is much more than you first think. Like you saw the robot head, it looks like a head, it has like a human face. But it's more than that. It has like many different, I used to say, many different muscles in the face. And you can steer each of these muscles the way you want. So if we go down the fun path, what children love to do with the robot is to like make him do funny faces, you know, because you can like, oh, the lip up, the eye down, the nose in this direction. Like you can just make him grimacing um, in a very fun way. <laughs> and there's like no, there is no limit to that. And then it's not just about modifying um, the facial expression of the current face of the robot that you have chosen. Another thing that really is a huge success with children or basically with any ages when we present a robot is that the robot has many different faces and you can swap them during an interaction. So you can pretend the robot to have different personas. Like it can have like a moderator persona that leads you through a test or something. And then there can be the person asking the test can have a different face, for example. Or if you have a robot that tells a joke, you can switch to a clown face before he tells the joke. And he just does that instantly. And if you then combine that together with some different language and articulary features, you really feel that despite it's the same product, it still is such a different persona with such a different feeling to it also. And there we come back to the empathy and the trust part that I was talking about earlier, that a social robot is much more than than just a robot or just the same thing every time you look at it. It can feel very different depending on the situation, which face you put on, which facial expression, which voice, and what it then actually does and how it behaves and moves. So I think these are things that can be really fun to explore. So I think this is things that really can be useful in the classroom to motivate children. So everyone loves a robot making funny faces. I can see the kids having a great time learning and not realizing they're learning, which is the best way usually. Exactly. I'm going to take the devil's advocate position. I think this is cool, but you're going to get some people saying, oh, well, kids are going to be isolated now when you bring a robot. Oh, it's going to replace a teacher. What's the reality here? Yeah, I mean, you know, if robots could replace teachers, I think this would have already happened. I mean, there's so many areas where people said, oh, but robots are going to replace that soon. And then yet it never really happened because it's just too far in the future. 
And um, the robot technology, despite that we made a lot of progress recently and we are making progress there every day, it's still a very young technology. And I do not say it will never replace a teacher. I think it may replace a teacher in certain areas, say for repeating vocabulary, for example, when you are learning a new language that you're just like, like the older, very repetitive tasks, I think, may be taken over by a robot at some point in school. But I do not really see that a robot is replacing a teacher. And then speaking about the children becoming more isolated, I think actually it's the contrary that is the case. Because say that you have a child that for one reason or the other cannot go to school for a while. Um, of course, you can video dial into the classroom maybe nowadays. I, I don't know, because when I was in school, that didn't exist. But, <laughs> but I guess you can video dial into a classroom. But you can also think the other way around. You could also think more down the path of telepresence robots, that, the, for example, the face of the teacher is projected on the robot, and then the teacher has a conversation with the pupil at home via the robot head that has been transported to the pupil's home if someone is sick like, for a longer period of time. And then this can also make it, like, people who meet the robot for the very first time are fascinated how the physical presence of the robot in the room is affecting you. It's so much more than just talking to a screen. It's actually looking at you. It's moving its head. It has all these human features that make you more engaged. So in that respect, I think that it can also include you more and engage you more instead of making you more isolated, I think. So, and yeah, with the current pandemic going on, many people have asked us for telepresence robots. <laughs> so it's still in research, but I think this is something that sooner or later will find its way in our daily lives, uh, more than like a fully fleshed teacher that is a robot, for sure. Fabienne offered a closer look at her role as solutions engineer with Furhat Robotics. My challenge is to come up with interesting example interactions of the robot, like how you can find different use cases for the robot because the robot does not come with a predefined use case. It comes with a blank and open mind if you buy it. Like you can make anything out of it. You can make it a teacher. You can make it a flight attendant. You can make it a greeter in a hotel. You can make it a chat bot. I mean, you can, there's really like no limitations from the product side of you. And this is the challenge in my work to find use cases where the technology is far enough that this social robot can already be of use in our daily lives. So I try to find use cases and then model example interactions on it and showcase this to people and see what works and what doesn't work. So this is a big part of my work here. What works best for you? What do you find people really like a use case where they say, oh yeah, I would really like to have that do that for me? Yeah, so there's so many different aspects of it. There is so many different fields where it can be of use. Like we have already talked about the school situations. I am sometimes in schools and showcase the robot to pupils. But then there's also, for example, a different branch of where robots can be really useful in the future or even already now, I think is when you imagine things like medical screening, for example, or anything really that has to do with where people wouldn't want to talk to a human but prefer to talk to a robot, actually. Like here in Stockholm, we sometimes have these medical screening pop-ups where there's a stand at a shopping mall where you can take a free test, answer some questions, and then they calculate the risk for you getting diabetes, for example. And that's based on your weight, based on your eating habits, based on your, like, there's many different factors to it, all right? And of course, I mean, you can fill this out and talk to a human about it. 
But studies have shown that there are certain topics that humans are more comfortable actually talking to a robot, or at least they are more honest when they are talking to a robot, but because they never feel judged by the robot, right? I mean, if you talk to a human directly, you're always afraid, like, ah, if I disclose my real weight, they will probably judge me or something. But if you talk to a machine or a robot, I mean, the robot doesn't mind what weight you have for him. It's just a number. And he just compares it with his database and then gives you an answer of whether you have a risk for getting diabetes, for example. So I think this is a whole branch, and it's not limited necessarily to medical screening. You can also think of, of HR situations where you would maybe want to ask a question, say that you got pregnant and you don't know how your employer is handling it or something, and you just anonymously want to ask questions and get an honest answer. So I think this is a whole branch where robots can be of great help. And if the robot has a face, I think people are more inclined to actually talk to it and have it as human as you need it, but then still have the anonymity to it so that you don't feel judged by it. And then a third field where I see where the robot is actually used a lot in practice already is in being unbiased towards people. So, for example, we have a collaboration with a company here in Sweden that uses the robot for unbiased job interviews. It's a recruitment firm. And when applicants come into this recruitment firm, they do not speak to a human to perform the first one or two interviews, but they speak to a robot. And the robot then logs what is being said, but there is no judgment as to the name or the ethnicity or the age or the gender of the person. But the first step is like completely unbiased. And this has proven to be a great success for this recruitment company. And there again, we have this, the robot is not judging you. Our robot is not based purely on data. It's not a purely data-driven machine, but it's more like, if you think of it more of a rule-based approach where you, where there is humans formulating the dialogues, but the dialogues have not been created automatically. So you can formulate them very straight and very yeah, neutral and unbiased. So You mentioned before empathy. I would love to hear a little bit about your experiment that you did too with the robot. You recreated the Stanley Milgram experiment and you personally experienced this one? Yes, I did. For reference, Stanley Milgram conducted a series of psychology experiments at Yale in the early 1960s. The goal? To measure subjects' obedience to authority figures even when those authority figures were directing them to do something which went against their personal convictions. In this updated experiment, the robot was the authority figure. That's the luck of starting at a robotics company earlier this year, because I was only one week old when they just threw me into this experiment and were like, oh, hi, Fabienne, we need someone who hasn't seen this experiment before. We've all seen it, so you're going to just do it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so just thrown into it. And it was really an intriguing experiment. I mean, I had heard about the original Milgram experiment, and I obviously knew that I would go into a room and and kind of reenact that experiment together with two robots. But to be honest, when I went in there, I felt pretty safe because I was like, I mean, I know how robots work. I know how it's just programming. There's no one is actually suffering. You know, I felt like I knew everything about it when I went into this room. And then for the first few minutes, the robot actually caught me laughing a few times because because I, I found it a bit absurd. And it was like, yeah, anyway, he's not suffering. Like, whatever. Like, ha. yeah, I, I didn't take it too seriously, to be honest, to begin with. But then as the experiment went on, it's really the time factor that then kills it for you because... As the experiment went on, 
the mean robot, like the instructor robot who told you to punish the other robot, he just became more and more like forcing you and like, oh, you know, now you have to punish him. And, and he was always so quick in his answering. And I had never seen that in a robot because usually there's always like a hesitation when he processes what you said. And this robot was so onto you all the time so that you really felt under pressure on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the other robot that was the one who was getting punished, he was like suffering more and more. So they had programmed it in a way that it was not always the same reaction when you press the punish button, but it was different reactions and they became more varied and they became more intense for the robot. And then afterwards, you could also see in the whole behavior of the robot, it was hanging with its head. It was looking very sadly. It was like, it was not just getting punished, but the whole perception of this robot changed and I suddenly started to feel real empathy with this robot and I just thought oh my god this this is horrible I just want to go out here because this because you have the pushy robot on the one hand and the suffering robot on the other hand and I completely at some point forgot I guess that these were robots and not people like you you can really get sucked into it by their physical presence and get lost in the conversation and get lost in the interaction and no longer think too clear about what is it I'm actually doing here? I'm talking to two machines. That rationality kind of disappears. And that was incredibly fascinating for me to experience. And I mean, we have to say it was not a scientific experiment in that respect. It was more like letting people trying it out, right? I mean, we did not conduct it under real scientific conditions like i mean the samples knew that they were participating in an experiment but we did not do a full evaluation and i think also our sample size was too little but i definitely think this is something worth investigating and i mean many of the people who are using a fur hat today out in the world are researchers in universities and academic research institutions and they are actually researching maybe not exactly <laughs> this punishment <laughs> and pushy robot setting, but they are definitely investigating empathy with robots and trust and in which situations people trust a social robot and in which they don't and how humans like their robots to be in order to wanting to interact with them. Like human robot interaction research is a huge field of where the Frihad is used nowadays to investigate. And especially because of the fact that its whole appearance is so customizable as it is, you know, you can look like, oh, do people prefer a robot that looks more like a robot? There is actually many people who do, because at a certain point when the robot becomes too human, the trust all of the sudden drops like very quickly, like up to a certain degree, it's fine. And then you reach this, it's called Uncanny Valley, where certainly the perception drops and you're like, oh my God, this is creepy. <laughs> and then you have to put it back and find this exact point where people like to interact with the robots. Because I think in the end of the day, the truth is, I don't think anyone doubts that social robots will be part of our lives at some point. I think the question is just when and how exactly this will look like. And this is where there's so much research going on in this field right now, because when it, well, it is time for the social robots to enter our daily lives, they have to be designed in a way that people feel comfortable with them, because otherwise they will not be used, they will not be accepted, they will not be as useful as they can be. So, yeah, I think this is an important point to think of. When we talk about what's next and how do we get robots like Fairhead is, 
more present and working in the world. What is ahead for Farhad? The next steps and how do people find out more? The next steps at Farhad is we have just recently introduced a new face engine that allows the face to be even more customizable as it was before. So what it means is we have even more muscles in the face, which now, among other things, allow you to have asymmetric facial expressions. So we have now new possibilities to make the robot more human. Because previously, if you wanted the robot to make a certain facial gesture, you just by hand had to program in, make the lip up 0.5, the eye down 0. Point whatever. Like you had all these parameters, but you had to manually define a gesture. And that's required a certain skill set. I mean, there is robot developers who could do that very well, but it was still very challenging, I think, for many. And uh, with this new face engine that we launched, it is now possible that if you have a fairly new iPhone, you can use a free app that records AR kit parameters from your face and you can record your own face and doing like a funny face, for example, or whatever face you want. And then you can, with just a few clicks, actually, you can put not your face, like the robot will not look like Fabian or like Dot, but it will do the exact facial gestures that you did when you recorded your face and you can then just play them on a robot. And I think that opens up the door for even more human-like experiences with this robot. And uh, the next step, so this is the, the actual step. And this prepares the next step because in the very soon future, it will be possible to then actually also modify the face of the robot in its appearance. Like not just in how it moves, not just the gestures, but also like the size of the eyes, the color of the eyes, the size of the nose, the place of the nose, the distance between the mouth and the cheek and the eyes, like you can basically modify anything and you can color code it in any way you want with uh, hex color codes. And you can add freckles to it. You can add wrinkles to it. You can add tattoos to your face, whatever. Like the <laughs> capabilities are sheer endless. And yeah, so this is something that we here at Furhead are currently working on to making the face even more customizable. And yeah, I think this is what people are looking forward to at Furhead Robotics right now. I got intrigued when I was researching because I saw not only the face of a pug dog, I thought, how much fun is that? But there was also a blog post where they talked about how one company is taking, I believe it is a Japanese anime character and bringing it to life yes. with a robot. The anime character is a big hit. Like whenever we showcase it to anyone, it makes the robot appear so different. And many people actually find it more comfortable because it's less human, which is funny too. It certainly is. Although I kind of see that because I like a lot of the robots. There was one that I looked at with the fedora hat. Look, that kind of went, oh! that kind of got the uncanny valley thing going for mm -hmm. me. Interesting mm -hmm. how we do that. Where can people find out more about the fur hat robot? Where can they find out more about the free virtual resource you have? Yeah, so I would say if you go to furheadrobotics.com, everything is collected there. You can find everything about the fur hat there. We have a YouTube playlist with some of the videos you probably have already seen and even more so to find out, where we showcase not only interactions with the robot, but where we also showcase, for example, this new tool that I talked to you about, where you record your face and then put it on the robot. And we have a colleague here who is so gifted in doing these videos, and he then puts it on his face, on the physical robot and on the virtual robot that you just mentioned. And this virtual robot is freely downloadable from our website. You just have to click a request button and then you get approved and then you can download the software and basically play with the virtual fur hat. And 
when the time has come, you can upgrade to a physical robot and then see that it actually makes a big difference talking to the physical presence in the room. I'll be honest, at the moment, a lot of my listeners would probably apply for grants if they're educators to get a fur hat for their institution, but they probably wouldn't be buying one individually. Is it okay if somebody downloads a virtual robot, let's say as a teaching tool, if they really can't buy one right now or in the immediate future? Yes, we have actually many people who already do that in practice. We have many universities. Right now there's a course at the University of Delft where about 200 students are learning about robotics, I think it is, conversational robotics or something it's called. And yeah, they have all signed up for licenses and the teacher uses them in the classroom. However, this particular teacher has a physical robot because I think she then wants to show like the best project is shown on the real robot then, like as a reward. Everyone programs it on the virtual robot and the code is fully compatible. So if you start using the virtual thread in your education and you later decide to upgrade to a physical robot, it will run just as smoothly on the physical robot as it did on the virtual forehead. So you are welcome to start programming on the virtual forehead as long as you want. It will not be in vain. It can be used later on the physical robot. And all our software upgrades are always backwards compatible. So there's really no risk. I really strongly encourage people to get out and download it and start playing. Finally, Fabienne, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from your work with Ferhat Robotics? I would like them to take away that the future is now and you should enjoy the ride. Because, as I said, it's just a matter of time when robots will be a part of our daily life and we will maybe no longer reflect over, oh my God, there's a robot there speaking to me. Like if you compare it to smartphones, like 20 years ago, it was unthinkable that you would watch a YouTube video in bed before going to sleep on your phone. That was unthinkable. But now it's many things became so normal that you don't reflect on it anymore. And I think what I like about my work and what I would like to take people to take home is this, you know, excitement of something new. Because I think it may go over and just become something normal very soon. So my takeaway is enjoy the ride because the future is now. Fabian, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Dad. It was a pleasure speaking to you. You and I have been listening to Dr. Fabian Cap, solutions engineer at Stockholm-based Furhat Robotics. Find out more about the Furhat Robot and check out some of their videos at furhatrobotics.com. And as Fabian said, you're welcome to download their virtual robot by going to their website and clicking on Request Our Free SDK. Once again, that website, furhatrobotics.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.